This week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories from Russia. On the first, we'll see that if your errands involve you stopping by the famous witch Baba Yaga's hut, someone might have it out for you. And on the second, we'll see that if a person keeps making you forget they exist, that might be a hint that they're not into you. The creatures this time are creepy little old man babies who live in the water and just want to have a talk. Myths and Legends, episode 216, Witch Witch. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, we have two stories from Russia. The first has to do with the famous witch, Baba Yaga and what happens when her sister gets married. In the second, we follow a famous knight, fresh off of his killing of a dragon and getting married, and not at all on the way to accidentally falling in love with a witch. I feel like you might be trying to kill me. Natasha said to her stepmother. The woman shook her head. What gave Natasha that idea? Natasha said that, just spitballing here, she wanted Natasha to go out and see her sister in the dark forest, to get a needle and thread literally the minute her father left. Oh, and her stepmother's sister just happens to be the infamous witch, Baba Yaga, who rides around in a mortar and has iron teeth with which to eat children. Also, the stepmother has a needle and thread, like, right there. Stepmother shook her head. Mm, that was a mirage. The girl said, a mirage. The illusion of water in the desert, localized to their hut, in Russia, in the winter. The stepmother nodded. Yes. Natasha could see that her stepmother was lying. She had a slight tell, in which she ground her teeth so loudly, the hut filled with the sound of the jostling of pots and pans. The girl took a deep breath. All right. And how was she to find Baba Yaga? The stepmother rose and pinched Natasha's nose. This was her nose. Could she feel this? Natasha's shoulders slumped. Yes. The stepmother let go, pushing her back as she did. Natasha was to walk along the forest road until she came to a fallen tree, turn left, follow her nose, and she would find her auntie. The stepmother pushed a folded handkerchief into Natasha's hands. She told the girl to get going. Now, Natasha knew this was a trap, but she didn't have much of a choice. Things started badly with the stepmother, and they had only gotten worse. After Natasha's mother died, she and her father had a few good years together. They had tea and bread and jelly. Then, her father became lonely. She was old enough to understand. And when he brought this new woman home, Natasha thought it might be the same as it was. It wasn't, though. The first time Natasha had come to the table for jam and bread, the stepmother slapped it out of her hands, saying kids didn't sit at the table, and she didn't need tea or jam. Natasha watched the stepmother eat her own bread, except for the crust, then tossed that to the girl. The father, being a fairy tale father and thus nearly non-existent, just looked on, I guess maybe thinking that he had been too permissive with the girl and that she needed a mother to get her in line? I don't know. Natasha learned to eat quickly, 
because as soon as she found a warm spot in the shed to enjoy her half-eaten bread crust, the stepmother yelled for her to get in the house and clean off their muddy boots. Now, the stepmother was standing at the door, making sure Natasha entered the forest. Natasha looked deep into the darkness of the trees, deciding that she would take her chances with the witch in the woods than with the one at home. Natasha thought she found Baba Yaga's house. Could have been the gnarly-looking iron fence. Could have been the house on chicken legs, strutting around the yard. Who's to say? The gate whined as Natasha opened it, and she turned to see a can of oil sitting there. She picked it up and oiled the gate so it could move without noise. As she approached the house, the house seemed to become aware of her. It turned, the candles glowing in the windows like eyes and the door like the mouth. It seemed to study her, and then, strutting over, settled down, allowing her to enter. She didn't enter the hut, though. Not immediately, because she heard something from around back. A weeping. It was another young woman, huddled by the back door of Baba Yaga's house, wiping her eyes with her petticoat. The story doesn't say what her deal was, but it was 100% a stepmother trying to have her stepdaughter murdered. I wonder if there's like a subscription plan or something for that, because if it isn't Prince Ivan chancing under Baba Yaga's hut, it's a stepdaughter who's there to be eaten. Natasha tried to ask her what was wrong, how she could help, but the girl wouldn't stop weeping. Natasha reached into her pockets, feeling only the handkerchief with the provisions her stepmother had sent her with, a bit of meat, cheese, and bread. She emptied the food into her pocket and gave the young woman the handkerchief for her to wipe her eyes. Then, Natasha heard a growl from behind her and turned from the smiling servant to a big, black dog. Natasha smiled and tossed the dog the bread and meat in her pocket. The dog's snarl disappeared, and it ate the meat off the porch. She went from the back door to the front, and, trembling, she knocked. The door creaked open. Inside, Baba Yaga, with her long, scraggly hair, sat at the loom in the corner. On the other wall, a cat sat at a mouse hole, turning to say a quick, oh, hey, what's up, to Natasha, before focusing back on the hole. Hi, auntie, Natasha said to Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga set aside what she was doing and said a good day to her niece. Natasha, determined not to show Baba Yaga her fear, said she had been sent by her stepmother for a needle and thread. Baba Yaga flashed her iron teeth with a smile. Oh, has she now? That being code for, hey, I'm sending you this child to eat. Please eat this child. Which, I mean, basically a child walking through Baba Yaga's door is a code for, please eat this child. But Baba Yaga rose on her bony legs and gestured to the loom, telling Natasha to sit and continue her work. She would fetch that needle and thread. While Natasha and the cat sat in the room, they could hear Baba Yaga whispering from the next one for the servant, the girl who had been outside crying. Hey, hey, there's a girl in there that I'm going to eat, but she looks dirty, it's gross. Make a bath so I can clean her up first, the witch whispered. I'm going to be here, sharpening my teeth. The servant agreed. Wait, is she going to eat me? Natasha whispered to the cat while still clicking away at the loom. What? You think I want to get involved in your human problems? The cat said. Don't talk to me bringing me into all that. 
When the servant passed by, on her way to get the wood and water, Natasha begged her in hushed whispers to please take her time, with a furtive glance toward the door, while Baba Yaga lurked in the other room and prepared for her meal, the girl nodded. She would do what she could. What are you doing, by the way? Natasha asked the cat when the girl disappeared outside. Well, I'm a cat sitting here watching a mouse hole, so I'm playing chess, the cat replied. Oh, do you want some cheese? Natasha asked. The cat rolled his cat eyes. Of course he wanted cheese, and he didn't finish. She just dropped a hunk of cheese down in front of the feline. He looked at her, back to the cheese, back to her, and back to the cheese. Was she serious? Natasha nodded. Yeah, enjoy. The cat attacked the cheese. As he chewed, he said that this was awesome. He hadn't had cheese before, because cats are naturally lactose-intolerant carnivores and don't have the enzymes to break down cow's milk. Might lead to a mess at the litter box later, but that wasn't any concern of his. Natasha said that it could be the loud whispering. It could be that Baba Yaga was filing her teeth to a point in the next room, but she was thinking that Baba Yaga wanted to eat her. Oh, good guess, the cat replied. Because that's what happens to... Oh, hold on, let me do the math. Everyone. He swallowed the last bit of cheese. Hey, did Natasha want to, I don't know, escape? And not be eaten? Natasha smiled. The cat detailed the plan. The comb and towel behind Natasha, they were Baba Yaga's. And they were magical. When Baba Yaga realized the girl was gone, when, not if, and she was running through the forest, the girl needed to take those items and throw them behind her. The towel will make a river, and the comb will make a forest. That might give her a chance. The girl narrowed her eyes. What? Why would a towel make a river and a comb a forest? The cat said, oh, so you're just going to sit here and question the free river and forest. No, 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 just don't take them. See how long you last. The girl held up her hands. Okay, okay. She would take it. But then she looked at the loom. As soon as she stopped, Baba Yaga would hear and come for her. The cat smiled. As he shimmied up next to the loom and yarn, Baba Yaga never let him play with. Oh, you leave that to me. The girl thanked the cat, took the towel and comb, and ran through the front door. About ten minutes later, Baba Yaga called from the next room. Are you weaving, my little niece? She called. The cat called back. Oh yeah, I'm weaving. Still doing it. Still doing that weaving thing. Baba Yaga's head shot through the window. That wasn't Natasha. It wasn't. It was the cat. And he also wasn't weaving. He got carried away and was now dangling in a tangle of yarn in the center of the loom. Hey, I uh, see why you don't let me play on the loom now, he said. Also, she escaped. The old witch stormed into the room, demanding to know why the cat didn't claw out Natasha's eyes at the first sign of escape. The cat asked if that's what she wanted him to do here. He was like 15 pounds and a cat, and Natasha was a human woman. Uh, but no, he let her go because he had been here for years, and Baba Yaga made him hunt for his dinner, never giving him cheese. Ooh. Also, the cat was now kind of immediately experiencing the reason why Baba Yaga never gave him cheese. Would she please cut him down because he needed to be at the litter box like 10 minutes ago? Baba Yaga? Hello? Baba Yaga was already at the door, confronting the dog, asking why he didn't tear Natasha to pieces. 
He said the girl gave him bread and meat. It was super nice. Bobby Agar rolled her eyes and leapt off the moving house. In the yard, she found the servant, who had just come back with the firewood for the bath. It turned out she was honoring Natasha's request because the girl gave her a handkerchief. Kind of a risky gambit, because the girl was kind of like Bobby Yaga's backup meal. But Bobby Yaga smiled as she looked out in the forest. It was fine. The witch said she enjoyed fast food. Because Natasha's running and I'm, I'm a cannibal, Bobby Yaga clarified. Oh, got it. Yeah, that one was a thinker, the girl said. You should probably go, though. Bobby Yaga said that the girl just didn't get her humor. She looked her over. The girl should probably get in the bath herself, just in case. The girl nodded, went back into the house, and bolted out the back while Bobby Yaga was gone. Bobby Yaga then confronted the gate, demanding to know why it didn't squeak. The gate said, hi, it's a gate, but it can talk, and it's not like it wanted to squeak. That was uncomfortable, didn't feel good, and Natasha oiled it. The gate didn't know why Bobby Yaga never oiled it. She left the can sitting right there pretty much forever ago, and it didn't want to give advice since it could never move ever, but if Bobby Yaga wanted to actually catch the girl, she should probably get going and stop demanding explanations from everything in her house. Bobby Yaga tapped the ground with her cane, and her giant mortar and pestle flew to the area in front of the gate. She hopped in, said she wasn't too worried, and shot off into the forest. <music> Natasha heard the cracking behind her, the sounds of the mortar crashing through the trees and the bushes. Baba Yaga was coming for her. She didn't wait and tossed the towel behind her. Instantly, it grew into a raging river. She stopped to catch her breath when Baba Yaga emerged from the woods, salivating. She leaned forward and continued on. The problem with a witch chasing you in a giant flying mortar is that the flying mortar is flying. She skimmed across the surface of the river. Natasha gasped and ran. She had gone a few steps when, knowing she couldn't outrun the witch, she reached into her cloak and grabbed the comb she threw it to the ground and kept running. All around her, gnarled, impossibly hard trees exploded from the ground. She dodged, ducked, dipped, dove, and dodged around the plants that were leaping up from the ground with a crash and a rumble. But she kept going. Baba Yaga was right behind her, reaching out her bony hand for the girl when a tree shot up and blocked the mortar. Baba Yaga righted herself and sped forward, reaching out again, but another tree sprang up. Then another. Soon, the forest that sheltered Baba Yaga, keeping her wild land safe from the civilization that pressed ever onward, was a prison. She was stopped. Natasha was safe. She was safe and she was smart. So she didn't stop running until she was clear of the forest, back on the road. She stopped, panting, and she heard a voice behind her. Natasha, what are you doing out here? It was her father, still traveling to the nearby village, walking stick in hand. He saw his exhausted, panting daughter. What, what was going on? Natasha rose. She had survived Baba Yaga, the witch in the woods. Her father needed to know not only what the stepmother had been doing, but that he, as her father, 
was complicit too. He let this happen by fading away and deferring to the stepmother. Even in the case of obvious abuse, the father took his daughter's hand, turned, and stormed off toward home. When the pair made it, it was nearly evening. And remember how the stepmother had that teeth grinding thing? Well, she was so agitated by being confronted by the father that her teeth flat out broke. Also, her skin turned yellow and her eyes turned red. But she was Baba Yaga's sister after all. The father forced her and her mouth full of broken teeth out of the hut and into the cold, never to return. The father, too, decided to stay single. I mean, he could just try to marry someone who wasn't evil, maybe take a more active role in parenting. Still, it is commendable that he put his daughter's safety over his desire to marry again. It's said that they never let a stranger come in between them, and over a table piled high with bread and jam, lived happily ever after. Baba Yaga is an interesting character. For as much as she reportedly eats children, I don't think we've ever seen her actually eat a child. I talked about this briefly on one of the member episodes. She appears to be something of a test for young men and women. And that really hasn't been more apparent than in today's story. I've read that she espouses peasant virtues and, in her own sinister, deranged way, challenges young women with household tasks to prepare them for a medieval marriage. It's a rite of passage in which the child leaves captivity changed. For instance, long ago, Prince Ivan got his horse and defeated Koshe the Deathless. A Vasilisa became queen and Natasha confronted the danger in her own house, stood up to her parents, and changed her own life for the better. Next up, we're revisiting Dobrynya, the dragon slayer, in a standalone story. But that will be right after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Dobrynya is a Russian knight, a bogatir, who we've talked about before. His stories are not really even connected. The epic I got this from doesn't bother to bring over any continuity from the previous work, like I will today. Basically, Dobrynya is a dragon slayer who made a name for himself killing a 12-headed dragon. On his way home, he met Natasha, a different Natasha, a warrior woman, who loved him so much that she stuffed him in a bag and demanded he marry her. He did. And so that's where we'll be starting today's story. Dobrynya was walking through the city. 
Things had been going well since he had been named one of the Tsar's bogatirs. He had killed the dragon and he was something of a celebrity. He couldn't walk down the street without being mobbed, except this street. Dobrynya had turned the corner and before realizing it, he was walking down a completely empty city street. He looked over his shoulder and the street he had turned off of was now empty too. Huh, weird. He was about to turn back when he noticed two pigeons perched on a ledge. Pigeons in a city. He'd fought a 12-headed dragon and nearly drowned in blood, but now he'd seen everything. Of course, he took out his crossbow and shot off a tempered bolt into the city. He missed, which is even worse, but he heard the bolt clang on the stones above. He found the door to the castle on this strange, deserted street, opened it, and climbed. What are you doing here? He heard when he bent down to pick up his bolt. It was the voice of a woman, Dobrynya spun around to see the beautiful owner of the castle. Marinka, Dobrynya shouted. The famous witch of the city, the infamous viper that leads men to their dooms with her beauty and promiscuity. It is about as much as I can say on this podcast and not market explicit. But Dobrynya gets pretty explicit. He tells her that he knows of her reputation and she won't lead him astray. He has a tough princess warrior woman wife who he's definitely not scared of. Marinka, the witch, sighed and waved her hands. And one more thing, Dobrynya said as he bent to pick up his crossbow bolt. Immediately, he was galloping in a field. Dobrynya slowed his horse. You know that feeling you get when you walk into a room and can't remember what you walked in there for? Well, Dobrynya figured he must have saddled his horse, left home, and rode out into the wilderness and completely forgotten why he was there. Weird. Well, time to go home. Where are you off to today? Natasha said, throwing her arms around her husband. Definitely not going to cheat on you, Dobrynya said with a grin. Oh, okay, Natasha said. Was he sure about that? That sounded a little suspicious. Huh, what's so suspicious about me leaving for no particular reason saying I'm not going to cheat on you? I said I'm not going to cheat on you. Okay, it's just a weird way to say it is all, but I trust you, she said. A weird way to explicitly confirm multiple times my faithfulness and that I'm not going to cheat, Dobrynya replied. It sounded like she was the suspicious one here. All right, later. Not going to go meet up with the beautiful witch. Hello, beautiful witch, Dobrynya said with a cocked eyebrow when he found his way to Marinka's palace. Marinka groaned. Oh my gosh. How did he find his way back? She sent him far away. The story says that she, quote, cut out his footprints, which is an awesome way to say that, by the way. How did he find his way back here? He smiled, tapping on his chest by following his heart. She groaned. Oh, seriously, come on. She lived on a street that didn't exist, shielded by magic. Why did this keep happening? Dobrynya, not being able to read the room, swaggered toward the beautiful witch with what he thought were moves, but she waved her hands. In an instant, 
he was in a field. This time, however, he remembered how he got there. What he didn't understand was why he was eating grass. It was nice, though. He said as much, but it just came out as a bellow. He got a response from a nearby oryx. His hair was in his eyes, and he tried to bring his hoof up to brush it away, but he couldn't reach and... Wait a second. He was an oryx, a now-extinct large bovine from Asia, in a field with 27 other oryx. He yelled out curses for the witch, but they also just came out as a bellow. Then he bent down and kept eating grass. Could have been the fact that he was now a different species, but the stuff was delicious. Yeah, I haven't seen him in like a week, Natasha said. He said something about not cheating on me with a witch and then left for a week. So you don't think he's cheating on me with a witch, do you? Dobrynya's heretofore unmentioned sister sighed. Marinka, that saucy witch was up to her old tricks again. Dobrynya's sister changed into a magpie. Being a witch herself, because why not? She spotted Marinka's castle in the middle of Kiev, a home that shouldn't exist, on a street that wasn't on any maps. She fluttered to the balcony, where Dobrynya had shot the arrow, and transformed back into her human form. She found Marinka in her study. These poems are very repetitive, probably because they come from an oral tradition, so she used the exact same explicit phrasing that Dobrynya used when he first confronted the witch. I guess Marinka's reputation though maybe not justified, preceded her. Dobrynya's sister demanded that Marinka free her brother. Now, the sister would let Dobrynya decide what they were going to do with Marinka. Marinka, the supposedly evil witch, could see that she had been taken unaware and was overmatched by Dobrynya's sister. She nodded. Certainly, Dobrynya would decide her fate. We're getting married, Dobrynya cheered when they returned from the fields, where Dobrynya and 27 of Marinka's other unwelcome suitors had been turned into animals. You're getting married? Really? Dobrynya's sister asked. Marinka smirked. She let Dobrynya decide. Turned out he was hopelessly in love with her. She had that effect on men. Feast? We're having a feast, Dobrynya yelled. Invite everyone in the city. My bachelor days are over. I'm getting married. Your bachelor days ended, the sister started, but trailed off. You know what? Never mind. Congrats, brother. The wedding was a small one. Turned out it was hard for people to find a castle that shouldn't exist on a street that wasn't on any maps. Probably for the best, because if Natasha, to bring his actual wife, had learned of it, she would have turned Marinka into an oatmeal pancake, and not with magic. It was a small ceremony, attended by the couple's closest knights and witches, and, after a wedding feast, the couple retired to their bedroom. Dobrynya's sister was standing in the hall. She hugged her new new sister-in-law, saying that they might have gotten off to a rough start, but she was happy to have the woman in the family. Dobrynya's sister kissed her brother on the cheek. Dobrynya's smile faded for the briefest of seconds, and then he nodded. All right. Bye, sis. Time for bed. 
Notice the suggestive eyebrow waggle. No, yeah, I, I got it, the sister said, and said goodnight to the pair. Inside, Marenko was waiting for her new husband in bed, and the bogatir strode into the room. He was ready. She looked at him, wearing only his sword. Really? He was wearing his sword to bed? He nodded. Oh yeah, here. He wanted to show off his sweet moves. He jumped on the bed, unsheathed his sword for his very unimpressed wife, swung it around a half dozen times, and ended by cutting her head clean off. Just to be safe, he proceeded to keep chopping at each joint. He didn't know what witches were capable of. He had been an animal for a week, and he still kind of craved grass. He heard a knock at the door and rushed to it. It was his sister. She asked if it was done. He opened and pointed to the bloody bed. It was. She grimaced. He should really put on some pants and... Oh, shoot. She was an evil witch, so her body was full of snakes this whole time. And now they're trying to wiggle free from her severed joints. Dobrynya nodded, as they do. But yeah, they should really grab a pillowcase or something. After the body of Marinka was burned, Dobrynya put on some clothes. And the brother and sister left the castle that shouldn't exist on a street that wasn't on any maps. They made their way home. Well, that was an adventure, Dobrynya said. He explained that Marenka should have known that no woman could tame him. You literally only defeated her magic because mine overpowered it temporarily, the sister replied. Dobrynya nodded. Yep, no woman could tame Dobrynya. And now, he was single again. They were at his house, and he threw open the door to the wife that had been wiped from his memory. The woman who, to woo Dobrynya, threw him into a bag and threatened to crush his bones if he didn't agree to be wed. Dobrynya's sister looked to her brother. Single? Uh, not so much. That's where we're going to leave it this week. This story is kind of a complex one, mainly due to its simplicity. It doesn't dig into motives, so I had to fill it in a bit in terms of why Marenka would want to marry Dobrynya, despite casting him out after he showed up uninvited the first time and then turning him into an animal for a week when he did so the second time. The story is pretty hard on Marenka, clearly labeling her as a witch and a few other words I can't repeat. I made her more sympathetic, resorting to magic to get rid of the guys who happened to stumble upon her hidden castle and fall in love with her. Unfortunately, she was still a witch who trapped a knight in a medieval story, so it kind of ended the only way it could, given the genre. Next week, we're back in the Mabinogian, where we'll see that if you find yourself falling in love with your uncle's foot virgin, the virgin that needs to hold his feet in peacetime, lest he dies, well, it's bad times ahead for all. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a cat butt tissue dispenser, a tissue dispenser shaped like a cat with a tissues come out of its butt, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show. That won't make you worried every time you reach for a tissue coming out of a fake cat butt that you might absentmindedly reach for the real thing. Ugh. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creatures this week are the water babies from Washoe folklore in North America. The water babies are pretty much babies in sound only. By now, you should know that if you're out walking along the river and hear a baby cry from the water, 
that's not a baby, that's a trap. Except that in real life, it's probably a baby and you should go help that baby, please. The water babies live in lakes, springs, and other large bodies of water throughout Nevada in the US. You'll hear crying and whimpering, and when you go to help said baby, you'll see that it's not a baby, but a quote, small, hideous, humanoid creature with the body of an old man and long hair like a girl, end quote. You might decide against diving in to save creepy Benjamin Button, but by then, it's too late. The water baby will pull you under. Even if you manage to escape, it's said that just hearing their cries will make the person sick and they'll die. You might be wondering what to do if you hear the water baby. Well, do what we tell our kindergartner to do and use your words. Yeah, just talk to them. They are apparently surprisingly reasonable. And if you have a legitimate reason for being in their water, they'll let you go or kill you anyway. I've read that offering corn and pine nuts help. So maybe carry that with you wherever you go. I also read that they caught one over 100 years ago in 1906. They snagged it in Lake Tahoe, gagged it, and transported it alive to put it on display in San Francisco. According to certain stories, this was the trigger for the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, which ended up being one of the deadliest earthquakes in U.S. history. When the shaking, fires, and destruction subsided, they found that the water tanks in the aquarium, where the water baby had been kept, had tipped over in the chaos and the water baby escaped. They did not go after it. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 